Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey, God. I'm never gonna come up with a cool way to start this podcast. Anyway, hi, I'm Aiden. Welcome back to the Long May She Rain podcast. I'm your host for this podcast. Um, I hope everyone had a good week. I decided to watch some movies. I know it's weird, right? So, um, I I'm very young. I'm only eighteen, and a lot of people would constitute that as uh, very young. And I decided to watch an '80s movie this week, uh, for the first time. So I decided to watch um, *Pretty in Pink*, which came out in 1986, and I'd never seen it, but I really love Molly Ringwald. So I decided to watch it, and God, what a good movie! I mean. Jeez, like, I can't believe it took me my entire life to <laughs> finally watch it. But to be f- be fair, it had been out for, like, at least 20 years before I was born. So, <laughs> yeah, I also um, have been doing a Star Wars marathon this week uh, leading up to uh, May the 4th, which is uh, tomorrow, or it'll, it'll be today when you guys are listening to this. Um... Tonight, oh god, what movie am I on? I'm on The Last Jedi tonight, and I'm gonna watch Rise of Skywalker uh, tomorrow. I've actually been enjoying it. I decided to watch it in chronological order uh, this time. I've never watched all the Star Wars movies through their actual timeline before, and it's kind of interesting to see how they all uh, fit together. So, (laughs) yeah, that's cool. Um, Okay, so... Back to the topic at hand, we are going through the rest of Catherine of Aragon's life. If you haven't listened to part one, you should probably go back and do that, or else you are going to be very confused. Um, so we're, I'm just going to give you guys a quick recap, uh, just in case you forgot. So, Catherine of Aragon, daughter of Spain, born to the richest, most powerful royal family in the world, gets engaged at three years old to Arthur Tudor of England. Uh, She takes a fucking long time to get to England, and when she finally gets there, she marries the man of her dreams, and then he dies. (laughs) And uh, she spends a horrible seven-year widowhood of basically begging, borrowing, and stealing just to stay afloat until dashing Henry Tudor finally comes and rescues her and makes her his queen. So now that we're all caught up, I hope you guys can all uh, stay caught up. Uh, let's get started with the episode. Actually, there's one thing I forgot to mention while I was uh, doing my intro. I have a special drink today. I do. I made my parents buy me pomegranate juice just for this episode. It was like a $6 bottle. And it's very good. <laughs> okay, so uh, where we last left off, uh, 
Henry and Catherine had just gotten married and they had their uh, coronation together. They were uh, crowned together, which is uh, really cool. And um, Henry and Catherine, after their coronation, kind of had this like honeymoon phase because Henry was this dashing 18-year-old king, and Catherine was his beautiful 23-year-old bride. Also, I was, when I came across uh, of their, like, early court life, like, more than half of their court were, like, newlyweds. Like, so it was, like, an actual, like, honeymoon court. And, um, a lot of people really liked Henry because he was this, just, this young, dashing king, like I, uh, said before, but him and Catherine were this kind of um, power couple sort of deal because, well, Henry, during those seven years of widowhood uh, for Catherine, Henry had kind of been like locked up by his father because Henry's dad, also named Henry, if you forgot, uh, was kind of paranoid that his second son was going to die and he just wasn't going to have any heirs anymore. Um, so Henry wasn't really used to ruling shit, but uh, as I said, uh, in the, in part one, Henry was, like, he really liked romantic literature, like, he liked knights and chivalry and shit like that, and he wanted to be a real renaissance king, and I, and I don't think that Catherine gets enough credit for turning Henry into the king he ended up being, like, the, the good version of the king he ended up being, because I feel like she really... Uh, taught him how to rule and ha- taught him how to be a good king and I don't think she gets enough credit for that. So almost right after the coronation, uh, the only really sad thing to happen right after the coronation is Henry's grandmother Margaret Beaufort ends up passing away, which I think is kind of like really like poetic because she got her son on the throne and she was able to live past her grandson's peaceful transition to the throne, and I I also forgot to mention that Henry VIII's transition onto the throne was the most peaceful transition that England had had in, like, I think maybe a century? Maybe? I Probably not since... Oh, probably, it probably wasn't a century. It was probably, like, since um, Henry V passed on his crown to his baby son, Henry VI, so that that was really poetic. Um, but surprise, we're getting babies! So, uh, almost, like, two, three months after their wedding and coronation, Catherine announced to the court that she was, in fact, pregnant. Um, so it's likely the baby was probably conceived on their wedding night. Um, when Catherine was pregnant, she started, uh, consulting doctors, uh, oh crap, sorry, I lost my, <laughs> I lost my place in my notes, I'm sorry, she started consulting doctors who probably would have told her to avoid certain foods, now I, I started to look up the pregnancy advice that, um, she would have been given, and I, I think it's funny, so I'm going to tell you about it. So she would have been told to avoid certain foods. They told her to drink wine and beer, which obviously we know you shouldn't drink alcohol when you're pregnant. Uh, but to be fair, like I said in part one, England's water was not safe. 
<laughs> so actually she would have been better off drinking uh wine and beer. They also told her to eat the flesh of like young animals, which is kind of creepy. Um, but, uh, just because Catherine was pregnant didn't mean she stopped playing diplomat. She actually played a key role in influencing Henry and his decisions in Europe that year. And she also went back on, uh, more friendly terms with her father, which is nice considering, if you remember, uh, how much he treated her like crap over the last seven years. Um, and like I said, Catherine is pretty much the reason Henry became such a good king. So, you know, good for her. So, by November of 1509, Catherine was probably anticipating her confinement. Now, if you don't know what confinement is, it was kind of this, like, uh, religious thing that, like, women would do in this time period to prepare for births. Uh, basically, you would go into a dark room, all the windows would be shut, they'd put up religious tapestries and shit like that, and only women were allowed in the room. And basically, all you had to do was uh, sit and go into labor, which... Sounds terrible, because I'd have serious cabin fever just waiting for myself to go into labor. And Catherine eventually did go into labor, because on the evening of January 30th, 1510, Catherine did go into labor early. I think she was, um... Yeah, she was only a couple months along. I think she was, like, four or five months along. She went into labor really early, and she miscarried... Which, aw. Uh, um, apparently the doctor said it was a girl, but only a few people m- knew about the uh, miscarriage, so they didn't want to announce it yet. Uh, but the thing is, after Catherine uh, miscarried, her belly didn't go down at all. And uh, they were kind of, like, freaking out. They were wondering if, like, there was, like, problems, if she was going to be okay. And her... Uh, dumb renaissance doctor concluded that she had been, you know, carrying twins, and one was probably still in there, so all they had to do was wait for her to be born. (laughs) Which makes me laugh, because that's such a dumb conclusion. Um, so Catherine did wait, and she waited until spring came, but no baby came. Uh, so the doctors also concluded that there was no baby coming, and that they were absolutely wrong, and this must have been so humiliating for Catherine. I mean, this was her first try at trying to have a baby, and uh, she hadn't done it right, and she had to return to court without having the expected baby, but luckily, almost immediately after this, Catherine found out she was pregnant again, So, it's safe to say her and Henry probably got busy pretty much right after she found out uh, that she wasn't having that baby. And uh, during this pregnancy, it's also believed when Henry probably had his first affair. Um, As much as I like to shit on Henry for having his affairs, it was just something like kings did at the time. Because it was thought to be dangerous to have sex while your wife is pregnant. And, you know, kings have needs and stuff, I guess. So he was kind of expected to get it wherever he could. But even with that justification, it still kind of uh, pisses me off. (laughs) Uh, Catherine was probably deeply hurt by the affair she did know about it. Henry was actually very discreet with his affairs, which I guess is kind of respectful of him. 
she maintained a sense of dignity as her mother had in face of her father's affairs. I forgot to mention this in part one, but Catherine's father, Ferdinand, the douchebag that he was, had a lot of affairs while he was married to Catherine's mother, and he had a whole bunch of illegitimate children that Catherine was very much aware of as a child, but I think this also taught her to be like a regal queen to, again, maintain her sense of dignity in face of humiliation. So... Preparations for Catherine's confinement again started around the uh, uh, 29th of September, 1510, and I'm sure Catherine was so nervous considering the bad memories of her last birth. Actually, with that uh, first birth, I forgot to mention that the pain was so bad for her, (laughs) she uh, promised that she'd make a uh, donation to a church because the pain was so bad to kind of like, I don't know, like cleanse for her sins? I don't know. So the pressure for the son that she needed was high, but thankfully on the 1st of January, 1511, Catherine gave birth and it was a fucking healthy baby boy! Which I'd, I'd just like to say, like, it was a healthy baby in general, but, you know, you needed boys. Misogyny, guys. And actually, um... Because he was born on uh, New Year's, uh, they actually nicknamed him the New Year's Prince. And people probably thought this was, like, a really good omen because, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, people back then were, like, really superstitious. And they probably thought um, the prince being born on New Year's was, like, a good omen. Absolutely. Everyone was overjoyed about this, including Henry. Hold on one second. I gotta take a drink of my pomegranate juice again. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Henry, like I said, was overjoyed, and he actually rode to a shrine to uh, give thanks for the birth of his son. Um, Almost immediately after, they had uh, the little baby boy christened, and they named him Henry, of course, because they didn't have any other names back then other than Henry, Charles, uh, Edward, (laughs) stuff like that. Those were the only names they had. Uh, Catherine actually wasn't present at her son's christening. It's not because she didn't want to be there, of course. She probably would have loved to be there. But it was actually a tradition to uh, not attend your uh, child's christening because actually Catherine was waiting to be uh, churched. And churching also uh, pisses me off because it's this ridiculous thing that women had to do where they were basically, like, absolved of their sin of childbirth uh, by a priest, which is stupid because Catherine's one fucking job was to uh, make children for England and she has to be absolved of sin. So yeah, that pisses me off. (laughs) Alright, so right after this, the court went into party mode because Catherine had her boy and everyone was excited. Um... King Henry participated in a whole bunch of jousts. Catherine gave out prizes. Um, I actually read something that um, Henry and Catherine were caught like kissing behind a tent, which is so <laughs> sweet and adorable. And they were probably the happiest that they had ever been. 
in their whole lives. But of course, as you may have noticed with Catherine's life, the moment she's at her happiest, a disaster strikes. It's kind of like a bring over curse from her mother because every time they were super happy, disaster strike. Because uh, in February, I believe it was February 22nd, poor little baby Henry, the New Year's prince, uh, died. <laughs> Um, no one's really sure what killed the poor little prince, but it was such a bad blow for the couple. They had been so happy over the last few weeks, and now they're in mourning. They had, like, a big funeral for baby Henry, and little Prince Henry's death was not something that Catherine got over quickly, like, especially because... She had done it like it wasn't her fault. She didn't miscarry. She gave birth to a healthy baby boy and something got him and it like ate her up inside. But I'm also sure Henry was determined to move move on as fast as possible because I'm I'm sure he was sad, but they were both still Henry was like barely into his 20s at this point and Catherine was only in her mid 20s, so they still had a lot of time. So, I want to get into uh, Henry and uh, Catherine kind of being this, like, English power couple. They were basically, I read that people called them the uh, Isabel and Ferdinand of England. So, uh, like I've said, Henry was filled with a lot of boyish energy. Like, people liked him a lot because he was, like, a big contrast to um, his father, who people only remembered for, like, being greedy and boring and stuff like that. Um, Henry actually greatly admired Catherine's family achievements and he wanted to be a great and celebrated king. He actually hero-worshipped his, um, well, it wouldn't have been his ancestor, um, family relation, uh, King Henry V, who had conquered France and he wanted to be exactly like him because who wouldn't want to be like Henry V who did all that conquering, right? And Henry also wanted to know how to play the game of politics as well as his father-in-law, Ferdinand. Um, If you remember in part one, I said Ferdinand was like a tough political opponent. He was very smart. He was very shrewd, uh, very, very smart man. And Ferdinand at the time was actually playing a very tough political game against the French. And by 1512, uh, he had actually practically convinced Henry that they would invade Aquitaine together, which is uh, this kind of like province in uh, France that uh, the English royal family actually owned at one point, but now they uh, don't. Um, Henry definitely thought him and his father-in-law were equals, as Isabella and Ferdinand had once been, but Ferdinand, as he uh, does, was just being a dick uh, who broke his promises. Uh, Henry actually sent over an army for Ferdinand uh, to invade uh, parts of France, but when the army showed up, Ferdinand's army and Ferdinand himself wasn't there. Um, And they waited, and they waited, and um, Henry's uh, general who was there controlling the army was like, dude, we have to go back, and Henry was like, no. And then after a while, Henry was like, okay, you can come back. 
And when the army did get back, Henry actually got a letter from Ferdinand, and Ferdinand tried to blame Henry's general for the mishap and said if the armies had just stayed there a bit longer, their armies totally would have met, and they totally could have invaded Aquitaine together, which is bullshit, because Ferdinand was definitely playing his son-in-law for a fool. Um, I can't imagine Catherine was very happy about being in the middle of the two, two men she loved, but... Uh, she was actually very instrumental in kind of, like, keeping the peace between them. She was kind of walking the line of her husband's ambition and her father's power, but she wore this power well, and when in late October of that year, Henry, um, decided to handle the next campaign in France in person. Uh, I believe this was, yeah, I believe it, was it in 15, it was either 1512 or 1513. I forgot to write that down, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, when... Henry was getting ready to leave, he decided to choose Catherine to be his regent, which I think really shows kind of how much he cared about her and respected her to take uh, care of um, his country while he was gone. Um, I really don't think that Catherine could have known what was coming, but this is about to be one of her most defining moments, and I think it's something that people should really remember her for. So, let's talk about Henry's French campaign and Catherine's badass moment at the Battle of Flodden Field. So, by 1513, Henry was getting ready to start his campaign, and Henry and Catherine said goodbye at Dover, which is like a port at in England where you can cross over to France. Um, to sum up Henry's campaign in France, I would say meh. I mean, uh, he won a few battles, he took a few towns, uh, one of his best battles was called the Battle of the Spurs, and I believe it's called that because the, while the French were running away, you could see the glint of their spurs in the sunlight as the English chased them. Um, but the good news was Henry didn't lose anything to the French, so, you know, good for Henry. Uh, but while Henry was gone, a storm was brewing in Scotland. Uh, King James IV, as most Scottish kings wanted to do for, like, the last, like, 200 fucking years, wanted to invade England, and with Henry gone, he definitely saw his chance. Uh, but he made one really dumb mistake, so, um, there was, like, a chivalry code in terms of, um, how some kings would go about war, and uh, King James of Scotland decided uh, he needed to be chivalrous before invading England, so he gave the English a fucking warning. He sent a letter that he was gonna invade. He literally told them, which uh, gave Catherine some time to uh, get an army for her, which, oh my god, James, why... (laughs) So he did that. Um, Catherine had the Earl of Surrey lead the uh, battle, and uh, Catherine uh, rode north, actually, to address the troops. Um, I read that there's a lot of sources that say she did it in armor, like she um, did her speech in armor. And also, I believe she she was pregnant at this time with her uh, third baby. I forgot to mention that. I'm sorry. Um... Uh, I'm not quite sure how pregnant she was. Uh, she probably was pretty uh, late in her pregnant be- pregnancy because I read that she was, like, pretty big. 
Um, so this battle, it was absolutely brutal. But not for the English, it was brutal for the Scottish. They basically got their asses hand to them, handed to them. And dumbass King James IV, who sent a letter before he invaded a country, ladies and gentlemen, was killed in battle. This was a fantastic victory for the English. Like, it was one of the uh, greatest defeats of the Scottish that they had had in a couple of decades. And Catherine immediately sent a letter to Henry, and she also sent uh, King James's like, bloody coat. Apparently, she actually wanted to send his, like, whole-ass body to France, but they wouldn't let her do that because the English were like, Cathy, it's it's too much. Let's, Let's not do that. And Catherine was like... Fine, we'll just send him the coat. <laughs> um, but despite this great victory, tragedy stuck struck again because oh, who would have fucking guessed? Um, Catherine lost her baby probably on the way back to uh London. It was probably born alive. She probably didn't miscarry, considering uh I ha- I saw a couple of records that said they also named it Henry. <laughs> Uh, but the baby must have died very quickly after that. Uh, but even though another baby was gone, uh, King Henry was actually very proud and happy of his wife when he eventually returned home in October of 1513. Um, I, I read in some places that he was, like, jealous of, like, Catherine's victory and that, like, he was just, like, faking that he was happy for her, but let's just choose to believe that Henry's not being a dick and that he was actually proud of his wife. (laughs) And despite, uh, Catherine's great victory, she also had spared time to think of her sister-in-law, Margaret Tudor, who's obviously uh, King Henry's sister. So I didn't mention this in part one, but, uh, King Henry's sister, Margaret, had been married off, like, oh, a couple, like, at least seven or eight years at this point to uh, Scotland, and uh, she'd been there for quite a few years, and she'd had a couple of pregnancies, and she only had one living son. Actually, she was pregnant at the time of the Battle of Flodden Fields. She didn't know it yet, but she was going to give birth to another son, who would also eventually die. And even though Catherine was technically enemies with Margaret now, uh, she sent over a priest to comfort her in her time of need, which I think is really cool of her, but I can't imagine how awkward, uh, future family dinners must have been on all fronts. Uh, like I said, the priest was nice of her to send over to Margaret, but that was probably definitely still really awkward. (laughs) So, uh, speaking of marrying off sisters, um, in 1514, Henry actually decided to, uh, marry off his younger sister, Mary. Um, Catherine was probably really sad about this because, as I mentioned in, uh, part one, Catherine and Mary got, like, really close during, uh, Catherine's widowhood, but I'm sure Catherine also knew that, uh, her, Catherine's, sorry, Mary's marriage to Catherine's nephew, Charles, would make her very important. Um, it would also have made Mary her niece, which is weird, because everyone's all related. Uh, but the problem was, despite Mary having been engaged to, uh, Charles since she was a child, Henry decided to change up his original plan. Um, (laughs) Henry made Mary marry, 
uh, the old decrepit king of France, which was kind of a bad move because uh, sweet Charlie was not only uh, closer to age in Mary, which uh, I guess it really didn't matter. There, there was no like prejudice against age gaps in uh, marriages, but like being closer in age to your husband was probably like preferred. Um, but Mary's marriage to Charles would have been a way better match. Um, but lucky for Mary, she didn't have to spend much time in France. Um, the old decrepit king, uh, Louis, I don't know which Louis because there are so many Louis. Uh, he died in, like, less than a year. Mary had to wait a little bit in France, uh, for people to see if she was pregnant or not. Um, she wasn't. So, uh, they decided to send her back, and Henry actually sent his, uh, BFF, Charles Brandon, to fetch her, and Henry actually made Charles promise not to marry her, because, uh, Charlie Brandon and, uh, Mary had had, like, a thing for a little while, like, Mary had, like, very obviously liked him, and, uh, <laughs> Charles Brandon did not keep his promise, uh, because he actually ended up secretly marrying Mary on the way back, which really pissed off Henry, <laughs> but he did eventually forgive Mary, because after all, Mary was his favorite sister, and they were really close, uh, but he did actually slap her with a heavy fine, uh, Catherine was probably just happy to have her friend back, and, uh, actually, during that same time, Catherine would have found out she was, uh, pregnant again, but she lost the child again in January of 1515, and according to what I read, it was probably a boy. But guess what, guys? I actually have some good news for Catherine! Kinda. Uh, she ended up getting pregnant, um like, probably right after that, probably a little while after that, and on February 18th, fifteen sixteen, Catherine finally gave birth to a healthy baby, but it was a girl, which is bad for her, but I think it's great. Um, they ended up naming the baby Mary, because there were, like, five girls' names back then and five boys' names. Uh, they named her Mary after Henry's sister Mary, so I'm gonna try and separate uh, the two Marys, if, uh, both Marys are gonna come up, like, multiple times in this notes. So I'm going to say, um, Mary Duchess of Suff Suffolk for, um, Henry's sister, and I'm gonna say Princess Mary for Henry's daughter, so that we don't get them, uh, confused. Henry was actually really relieved that the baby was healthy, and I don't really think he seemed to much care that it was a girl. Actually, he was quoted as saying, if it was a girl this time, boys were sure to follow. Um, but he was very wrong, but I'm glad he had that confidence in his wife. Unfortunately, after Mary Catherine would only conceive about one more time, and she would lose that baby too. And I believe that last baby was a girl. Um, right after Catherine's uh, birth of her daughter Mary, she actually got the news her father had died, which had been kept for her. He'd actually died, I believe, like a month uh, before or like a little less than that. But Henry decided to keep the news from her because he didn't want her to be worried or like stressed going into the birth. Um, and I believe... 
yeah, <laughs> sorry, and actually, um, that Christmas, uh, Margaret Tudor came back from Scotland to spend Christmas together, which, like I said, was probably awkward, considering the whole I killed your husband thing, so that must have been the world's most awkward Christmas dinner ever. So, I want to talk about Catherine as a mother, since now that we have an actual child in the nursery for Catherine to take care of, because she was an excellent mom. She was very attentive to Mary from the moment Princess Mary was born. Uh, She made sure Mary got a fine education like her mother. Um, Princess Mary was uh, good at Latin and was actually a fine musician like her father. I forgot to mention Henry was actually a really good musician. Um... And little Princess Mary's marriage negotiations started pretty much immediately after she was born. Like, she was engaged at, like, as a toddler. Hold on one sec. Pomegranate juice again. Oops. (laughs) Uh, Mary was actually engaged firstly to uh, King Francis of France's newborn son. Uh... Yeah, like I said, that old decrepit king of France died, and he was actually succeeded by, like, a younger cousin. And they already had babies, so Mary was engaged to that kid. Uh, Catherine actually didn't like this match, because she wanted uh, her daughter to be engaged to, like, a prince of Spain or something like that, which is gross, because all the descendants of Spain would be, like, her first cousins. Um, (laughs) actually, around this time of, uh, Mary's engagement in about, um, 1519, when Mary, Princess Mary would have been a toddler, um, I'm not doing the math right, (laughs) Princess Mary would have been about two or three, uh, Henry's actual longtime mistress, uh, Bessie Blount, gave birth to, uh, Henry's son, which Henry, of course, named after himself, again, uh, he named his, uh, bastard son Henry Fitzroy, uh, we don't actually know what Catherine's thoughts were about this, or if she even knew about it, uh, but she probably would have found out around 1525 when, uh, they gave the kid titles and honors, I'm sure it probably slightly bothered her, considering she hadn't, uh, had her healthy son yet, but uh, little baby Henry's uh, birth probably started getting Henry to think that the problem was Catherine and not him. Okay, so let's talk about the field of cloth of gold. Now, this is one of the coolest, like, diplomatic meetups of, like, a king and another king ever. And honestly, the more I read about it, the cooler it sounds. Basically what it was, it was this like diplomatic meeting that Henry and the new king of France, Francis, um, <laughs> decided to do to like, kind of like, be bros together. Uh, but uh, <laughs> despite it being a diplomatic meeting, it was honestly just one big dick measuring contest between Henry and Francis. Um... <laughs> Henry actually, for the diplomatic meeting, he had a fake castle built to host his family. And this, I've seen like portraits of this castle uh, that were done uh, for the uh, meeting. And it was actually, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, the windows were made out of real glass, but the walls were canvas. Uh, it actually even had a fountain that spurted out wine, which is really cool. If you look at the portrait, you can see people, like, getting really drunk in front of it, and it's hilarious. Um, 
it, and it actually had a courtyard in the center too, which I don't know what you'd need a courtyard for in a mini fake castle, but they had it. Uh, Francis and Henry had parties and feasts and they, uh, ratified the marriage treaty for Princess Mary and, uh, Francis's son. I'm pretty sure Francis's son was also named Francis, but I'm not sure. It probably is. I'm probably right. Um, actually, Henry and Francis had a wrestling match at one point. Like, these two, like, literally, like, they, they took off their shirts and started, uh, wrestling. Uh, Henry did not win. Uh, which uh, made him pissed off. <laughs> and Francis was, uh, probably, uh, really happy about that. Uh, now, I did say that the marriage treaty for Princess Mary and Francis' son did get ratified. Uh, but... Henry, uh, broke that treaty in January of 1521 because, uh, like his, uh, dad before him, he likes playing hard to get with marriage treaties for his children. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna skip a ahead to the mid-1520s because this is when it really starts to get interesting. Now, six years had gone by since Catherine's last pregnancy and Henry was pretty worried to say the least. The last time a woman had inherited the throne, it started a huge civil war. The last lady to try and inherit the English throne was like all the way back, I think in the 1100s, um, of this lady named, uh, Empress, uh, Maud or Empress Matilda. And, uh, she had tried to claim the throne and, um, sorry. <laughs> she had cl tried to claim the throne and, uh, one of her family members, who was a dude, tried to uh, take it from her, and it started this huge civil war called the Anarchy. And uh, Henry did not want to throw this country into another civil war. After all, his whole uh, dynasty had been created out of a civil war, and he didn't want that to start again. Uh, but in the public eye, Henry actually remained very confident in his daughter, Princess Mary, and he definitely still had, there was a possibility of son, a son, because after all, he was only 33, and Catherine had still had a chance, like, it wasn't completely impossible that she could, like, pop out a son, like, any moment, like, it was definitely still a possibility, and Henry actually remained so confident in his daughter, he actually sent Mary, I believe around this time, to uh, Ludlow Castle, where, where you, uh, remember, uh, Catherine and Arthur, uh, spent most of their married life together in that castle. Um, he did name her Princess of Wales, but, like, he didn't invest her as Princess of Wales, so it, like, doesn't really count. So she was never actually technically Princess of Wales, but at, at least he had a little bit of confidence in his daughter. Alright, so I'm gonna talk about the entrance into court of the Boleyn sisters. Now, I don't want to talk really too much about Anne or uh, Mary Boleyn, too much because after all this is Catherine's story. So in the mid 1520s is is when Henry is believed to have started his affair with Mary Boleyn, which probably lasted from 1522 to 1524 ish. Um, we're not really sure because, like I said, Henry was really discreet with his affairs, so we almost have no documentation about it. Catherine probably didn't know about it, and like I said, she liked to keep her uh, regal mask up during the times when Henry would have affairs. And it was also during the time that Henry was having a f an affair with uh, Mary Boleyn that Anne Boleyn shows up in the records at court for the first time. 
she participated in a pageant. Uh, this is where she is like recorded in court for the first time. She participated in this pageant where basically these women would dress up as good attributes, like they'd have these sashes uh, that would say they're good attributes, like honor and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and they were actually held captive in this like play castle by bad female attributes, like scorn and stuff like that. And Anne, ironically, played perseverance, which is hilarious considering if you know anything about Anne, she was nothing but uh, persistent. Uh, this probably also would have been the first time that Henry, uh, noticed her, um, which was good for her. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> he definitely probably would have noticed her at this time. Okay, so guess who's back in the story? That little bastard, Henry Fitzroy, uh, because in the mid-1520s, uh, like I said before, King Henry decided to take his son from this, like, sheltered life and give him titles. Uh, like I said, if Catherine didn't know about the boy, she definitely knew now, and it was probably a slap in the face for Catherine, but she did not show that she was even thrown by this at all. She actually even threw a party for the kid to celebrate his, uh, new titles. Um, Catherine was probably really nervous for her daughter Mary, as, um... Catherine's lack of male heirs made a little bastard Henry Fitzroy look like a way better uh, replacement for Mary. After all, Catherine, at uh, this point in 1525, had just turned 40, so it was definitely making her nervous. Okay, so I cleverly titled this part of my notes, The Beginning of the End, because I'm, I'm clever, right? <laughs> okay, so by the end of 1525, Henry started confiding in one of his advisors, Thomas uh, Wolseley. I'm just going to call him Wolseley, because there were a lot of men at this time uh, named Thomas in Henry's court uh, for some reason. Um, Henry started confiding in Wolseley that he was starting to have doubts about his marriage, and him and Wolsey started to debate the theology of why God might be punishing him in Catherine's union. Not to mention by the next year, Henry had fallen in love with Anne Boleyn, not only for her possible baby-making potential, but Henry likes smart women. If When we go through all his wives like Anne, uh, Jane, Catherine, Anne, and Catherine, you're going to see how he likes... Well, some of his women smart. At, at some point, he did get sick of smart women. Um, Anne was fashionable. She really liked French styles, and Henry liked a lot of things about her. Um, by 1527 is when Henry started to actually start getting legal. Um, Wolseley had a secret trial started to get an investigation into the marriage underway and hopefully get an annulment, which shouldn't have been hard. The Pope gave them out all the time. But if Henry thought these proceedings were going to be quick and easy, boy, was he fucking wrong. In fact, uh, they started, they lasted about seven years, which is ironic considering Catherine's, uh, horrible widowhood also lasted seven years. Seven is a bad number for her. Um, to make matters worse, as Henry started to get these proceedings, uh, to annul the marriage. By the way, um, 
I just want to mention that even though Catherine is remembered as the divorced wife, uh, divorce didn't really exist in this time period. Um, what did exist were these things called annulments, where basically you ask the Pope for one, and he'd be like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, you guys can separate, and your marriage never existed at all. You guys have never been married. So that's what an annulment is, and that's what Henry was trying to get, just to let you guys know. So, as Henry started these proceedings, Catherine's nephew, uh, Charles, if you remember him, um, Mary Duchess of Suffolk was supposed to marry him, but, uh, she did not. Actually, at one point, um, they tried to engage little Princess Mary to Charles at one point, which is gross because he's her first cousin and also, like, 20 years older than her. Anyway, I digress. Uh, (laughs) Charles sacked, uh, Rome and actually kidnapped the Pope. But it actually gave Catherine time to think, um, because she probably knew something was up. She probably started realizing that she, she probably didn't know that she was gonna be replaced, but she definitely wasn't stupid. She probably knew something was up. Uh, she was able to talk to her nephew, uh, and build up her case so she wouldn't be caught off guard. Uh, later that January, I believe in 1528, the Pope ended up escaping and he started to help, uh, Henry with his proceedings, but he actually instructed, uh, is like, the the Pope instructed his legal people to like delay it so that Catherine might get used to the idea of maybe like retiring instead, but she wouldn't do that. She's Queen of England. Why would you give that up to go into a nunnery? Uh, things started to look up suddenly, at least she thought, when the sweating sickness actually broke out in 1528, because, guess what? Anne caught it! And I'm sure Catherine was, like, pretty sure this was divine retribution, uh, for Anne trying to steal her man, but Anne did not die. Uh, in fact, uh, her closeness to death actually made Henry, like, more fond of her, and I believe he actually, like, moved her to a different palace. Um, as much as Henry wanted to keep this whole divorce thing quiet, uh, it wasn't. (laughs) Like, all of Europe knew their dirty laundry, and actually they called it the king's great matter. And everyone had an opinion on it, from colleges to kings and queens, everyone had an opinion on it. Sorry, one second, pomegranate juice again. Anyway. Uh, many people were actually in Catherine's favor, especially, uh, women, like, not just, like, royal women, like, pretty, like, regular women, uh, who saw Catherine as a voice for all the scorned women who had been mistreated by a man. Uh, despite this, Henry was, like, definitely trying to make sure his version of the story was being spread. (laughs) I, I called this, uh, part in my notes, divorce court. Ooh. (laughs) So, by the end of May, Henry had his court all set up, and he chose uh, this place called the Black... I'm probably not pronouncing this right. Uh, the Blackfriars Court. Uh, I'm pretty sure it had been a, like a like a palace at some point, but uh, now they were using it as a div- kind of a divorce court. Uh, this was a huge scandal because, like, oh my god, the king and queen of England were gonna be in a public court, like, farmers trying to get a divorce. So it was, like, this, like, big public thing. So naturally, the place was absolutely freaking packed. Um, Catherine was called in, she took her seat. Uh, Henry spoke first, saying it was a 
against God for what he was doing for for them being married and that for the sake of their own souls they had to get an annulment because Henry had found this uh, passage in the Bible. I, I didn't mention this, but Henry was like a great student of the Bible, like we think of him as, as this great reformer, but he was Catholic to his fucking core. And the quote, I didn't write it down, I probably should have written it down, that was dumb of me, I'm sorry, uh, that uh, you can't marry your brother's wife. And um, if Catherine did sleep with Arthur, then Henry had a totally valid point, but if she didn't, like, he had no point. But she said that they didn't, and Henry definitely didn't believe her. And when it was Catherine's turn to speak, she did the best thing ever, and it just, like, mic drop. So, basically what she did is she got on her knees in front of Henry in his chair and gave this awesome speech. Now, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna try and, like, translate it out of old, uh, her old English to try and get you guys to understand what she means. Okay. She said, Sir, I beseech you, for all the love that hath been between us, and for the love of God, let me have justice. Take of me some piety and compassion, for I am a poor woman and a stranger born out of your dominion. I have no assured friends, and much less impartial counsel. So basically, she was like, please, I love you. Let me have justice. Let it be fair. All right, I'm going to keep on going. Alas, sir, where have I offended you, or of what occasion of displeasure have I deserved? I have been to you a true, humble, and obedient wife, ever comfortable to your will and pleasure, and I've never said or did anything to con contrary, therefore, of always being pleased and contended with all things wherein you had any delight or dalliance, whether it were little or much. I have never grudged in word or countenance, or showed a visage or spark of discontent. I loved all those whom ye, ye have loved, only for your sake, whether I had cause or no and whether or not they were my friends or enemies, these twenty years or more I have been your true wife, and by ye you have had many children, although it has pleased God to call them out of this world, which has been no default in mine. So basically she was being like, when have I ever made you upset? What am I doing to deserve this? I have been a good wife to, to you. I have liked all the people of you you have liked. Um, and... She said that she had given Henry children, but it wasn't her fault that God had taken them out of this world. Alright, so now we're going to get to the last part of her speech. Um, when ye had me at first, I take God to my judge. I was a true maid without a touch of a man, and whether or not it be true or no, I put it to your conscience, if there be by any just cause by the law that ye can allege against me, either of dishonesty or of any other impediment, to banish and put me from you i am well content depart to depart to my great shame and honor and if there be none then here i must beseech you let me remain in my former state therefore i must humbly require you that in the way of charity and for the love of god who is the just judge to spare me the extremity of this new court until i must be advised what way and order by my friends in Spain, and will advise me to take. If ye not extend me so much impartial favor, your pleasure then be fulfilled. To God I commit my cause. Okay, so basically what Catherine is trying to say is that she was a virgin when they got married, and that's the goddamn truth. Um, she wants 
justice for herself and uh if he can prove that she's being dishonest she will go and retire but she wants a fair trial and um that's basically all she wants so during the speech henry tried to get catherine to her feet twice but she wouldn't move and when she finally did she got up curtsied in front of henry and left the court and she never came back to that stupid fucking divorce court and all i gotta say is clap 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 mic drop catherine i love you okay so even with henry's court the Pope was still delaying things and it was becoming frustrating for Henry and he was going to take it out on some someone and soon that person will be Wolseley who had at this point tried and failed to get Henry the divorce he wanted. Uh, we will talk about that in a second. Um, at the same time, Catherine's uh, faith uh, deepened uh, like it had during her widowhood. She began fasting again wearing hair shirts and she became more depressed and Henry actually decided to punish her for that fantastic fucking speech that she gave. She sent um, Princess Mary away to Windsor, which was a lot farther than where Catherine was. I'm not quite sure where she was, but I know that they were very uh, separated. Um, things were tense, since Henry and Catherine were still technically living together at palaces. Um, one day, Henry and Catherine were actually dining together, and they got in a fight. And when Henry uh, went to uh, lick his wounds, uh, he actually decided to go see Anne, but uh, she berated him for letting Catherine get under his skin, which, <laughs> Henry, you fucking suck. And uh, because of this, Henry started taking away more of Catherine's things. However, he did actually kind of nicely um, let Catherine see Mary for a couple of days. Um, one funny story I actually read from this time in their lives, um, it's about 1530 at this time, and remember how I told you guys all the way at the start that Catherine would make Henry shirts? So she was actually still doing this at the time that they were separated, and Anne actually threw a hissy fit about it, and I think it's just funny that Henry still expected Catherine to make her shirts, and Catherine still in fact did it because she was a good lady. Oh, and also a little while after this, Wolseley actually died. He was actually meant to be executed because Henry was, like, kind of, like, fucking sick of Wolseley not getting him what he wanted. And uh, Wolseley actually died before his trial even actually ha happened. Catherine probably had no feelings about this. After all, she probably didn't really like him very much. Alright, so the years uh, 1532 to 1533 was a really dark year for Catherine. At this point, she had been practically banished to the countryside. And while Anne was not yet queen, uh, Anne started to take over queen duties. In fact, Anne was invested as the Marquess of Pembroke in her own right, which was huge. Like, the king just didn't give out titles to women in their own right like every day and elevated Anne's status so that when Henry did eventually marry Anne he wasn't marrying some knight's daughter he was marrying the Marquess of Pembroke and um the Pembroke title was actually an old title from Henry's family so like that was like really huge um at this time Catherine had all her jewels taken away to be given to Anne and they even took away jewels like that she brought from Spain that like were her family jewels <laughs> family jewels that's a funny joke um like stuff like that her mother had given her and they were all given to Anne like how rude uh the one thing that Catherine actually did 
was able to keep was like this tiny like simple gold cross that apparently had a sliver of the real cross that Jesus got um crucified yeah that's the word crucified on um and by the start of 1533 Anne was actually pregnant and Henry was awaiting the arrival of the son arrival of his son that would make all the shit he's been doing worth it um, in 1533, things started to move really fast. Henry had his courts declare his first marriage invalid, and on June 1st, Anne was crowned queen. As a result, Catherine, uh, had her titles taken away, and she was to be referred to as the Princess Dowager of Wales, uh, which kind of put her back to her estate as Arthur's wife. However, uh, Catherine still insisted that she be called queen, and worst of all, Princess Mary was forbidden to see or contact her mother, mother and not to mention, at the same time, uh, Henry's sister Mary, Duchess of Suffolk, died, uh, which must have sucked for Catherine, because, like I said, they were very good friends, and was pretty much one of the only people in court who were on her uh, side. So, on September 7th, 1533, Anne actually gave birth to a daughter, Elizabeth, and this made everyone in Catherine's camp really happy, as Henry did not get the son he wanted, but unfortunately, the birth of Elizabeth meant Mary was stripped, Princess Mary was stripped of her title as princess, and in 1534, Henry had Mary, Princess Mary, declared illegitimate, and Princess Elizabeth... Uh, was named the new princess and poor 17 year old mary was sent to her baby sister's household to basically serve her baby sister which oh my god like how rude um so the next couple of years after that were really sad for Catherine, and this is kind of where we were coming to the end of her very interesting life um, she was moved from castle to castle and isolated from everyone, um, and she was not allowed to see her friends. Actually, uh, a bit before she, uh, died, um, her, one of her old ladies-in-waiting from Spain, I don't know if you remember her, I mentioned her once or twice, Maria de Salinas, had actually, she had married, like, this, like, English duke, like, a while back, and she hadn't seen Catherine in, like, quite a while, so just before Catherine died, uh, Maria, who even wasn't technically allowed to see Catherine, uh, rode to the uh, castle where Catherine was being kept and, like, faked, like, a horse accident, and she was like, oh my god, I'm so injured, uh, take me to that castle right there that Catherine happens to be in. And Catherine was able to f- see her friend Maria de Salinas, um, before she died. And Catherine just, like, starved herself, and she was, like, willing to go down as a martyr. So, um, she became sick at the end of 1535, and when she realized she was dying, she began to get her affairs in order, and her will started... And she supposedly, though it's not confirmed, wrote this final letter to Henry. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to try and translate it the best I can, but it's a pretty sad letter. So she wrote, My most dear lord, king, and husband, the hour of my death, now drawing on the tender love I owe you, forthest me 
my case being such to commend myself to you and to put you in remembrance with a few words of the health and safeguard of your soul, which ought to prefer before all worldly matters and before the care and pampering of your body, for which you have cast me into many calamities and yourself into many troubles. For my part, I pardon you on everything, and I wish to devoutly pray to God that he will pardon you also. For the rest, I commend unto you my daughter Mary, beseeching you to be a good father unto her, as I have always desired. I entreat you also on the behalf of my maids to give them marriage portions, which is not much, they being but three. For all my other servants, I associate the wages due to them, and a year more, lest they be unprovided for. Lastly, I make my vow that my eyes desire you be above all things. And she signed it, Catherine the Queen. So, this letter is, like, everywhere is, like, Catherine's, like, final death letter. It's not, like, actually confirmed that, like, she she wrote this. Like, some people think it was, f- like, fake or, like, she didn't write this. But I choose to believe she wrote this. And it just makes me so sad. Basically, what she's trying to say is that I love you. I forgive you. I hope that God pardons you. I want you to be a good father to our daughter. And once again, I love you, which actually really wants to make me cry. So on the 7th of January, 1536, Catherine passed away at Kimbolton Castle. Um, her body was embalmed with uh, spices. She was wrapped in a wax linen and inserted into a chest and she laid in in, like, this canopy of state for, like, a couple days so, like, people could, like, come and, like, say goodbye to her. Her body was then enclosed in lead, which I don't know how they did that, and they put her in a coffin. Uh, she was placed in a chapel before the altar surrounded by dozens of burning candles, and, um, surrounding her coffin were four crimson banners with the arms of England and Spain and four large golden standards with the images of the Trinity, the Virgin Mary, and St. Catherine and St. George. Um, the arms of England were not gilded and the crown over her, um, I think the crown on the banner was actually the unclosed circlet of a princess and not the closed crown of queen, which was kind of like a gut punch. Because they gave her the funeral of a princess and not a queen. Um, we don't know what she died of, but it's most likely that she died of cancer. Because when they did an autopsy on her body, her heart was, like, black. Like, she probably died of heart cancer, which is, like, pretty ironic. Like, she died of a broken heart. Uh, some people actually suspected when she died that she was poisoned. Uh, we have no, like, proof of this. If Henry had wanted to kill her, he definitely would have done it years ago. So, I don't think poison is, uh, the likely culprit. Um... Henry did not attend Catherine's funeral, and Mary wasn't allowed to attend. Um, in fact, she thought the small ceremony that her mother was given was an absolute disgrace, and she didn't want anyone she knew to be there. Um, okay, so let's talk about Catherine's legacy. She was a great queen, a good mother, the best of Henry's wives, I definitely gotta say, and she lived and died for her religion and what she thought was right, and I just want to, uh, raise my, uh, pomegranate juice to Catherine because she was the best. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you wanted to hear about a certain lady, just DM me on Twitter at Long May She Rain 2. And remember, Long May She Rain. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye!